0: Uh, One was embezzlement slash not embezzlement. What do you call something when you have an employee doing invoicing for you and that employee is at the height of laziness because they're given, let's say, 150, 180 invoices a week, and they take maybe 40 or 30 of those invoices and stick them at the bottom of filing cabinet because they don't want to do it. They don't want to do the work, all the typing. Right? It came out to be about $60,000 when I finally caught it.
1: If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Welcome back, my friends, to another exciting episode of The Sprinkler Nerd Show. I'm your host, Andy Humphrey, and this is episode 47. And I'm excited today because I have a special guest, Chad. And before we get into what we're going to talk about today, which we do have two uh, main topics, I want to just tell you uh, one of the reasons I'm excited to talk with Chad. And that is because from what I know and have talked to Chad already, he sort of exemplifies being an entrepreneur in the landscape and irrigation industry. And I say that because so often in the last 15 or 20 years when I've been in market talking with contractors, distributor representatives, manufacturers, and we're having dinner or we're having lunch and we're brainstorming and we're sharing ideas, I really do feel like the landscape and the irrigation industry has a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people think like entrepreneurs. We have great ideas, we have a new idea for a cutting tool or a better way to plow in some pipe or a new idea for a hand trowel. You know, we see these new ideas for products, we talk about them, but very rarely do we know what to do with those ideas or how to take action on those ideas. And so Chad has taken lots of action and he has created products and companies such as ConcreteDonuts.com backflowarmor.com, largepavers.com, concretecatchbasins.com. And so I'm really excited to bring Chad on today to tell a little bit about his story as well as uh, our two topics today. So Chad, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Andy. I appreciate it so much. I'm looking forward to it.
1: Absolutely. Did I do an okay job describing you?
0: You did an awesome job. Yeah, thanks.
1: <laughs> no, and I, and I I truly mean it when I say that the lawn and landscape and irrigation industry has a lot of entrepreneurs. And I think that when a lot of people get started, it's just that. They've got an entrepreneur itch to scratch. The barrier to entry can be low. You can really just get started with your own sweat and uh, a couple pieces of equipment. And uh, what I'd like to do is maybe kind of, can you start by telling us a little bit about your background and how you even got into this industry
0: of course I'd be happy to I'd like to say that when I first started it was very close to the description that Michael Gerber gives in the e-myth that I was a technician suffering from an entrepreneurial seizure and uh, and I felt like that quite often and didn't know until (laughs) I started reading his his work or his books uh, the e-myth
1: And those are great books, by the way. If you haven't read The E-Myth, it's a fantastic way to start thinking about your business. And it certainly changed my mindset years ago when I read it.
0: It lets you know that you're not alone. You're not the only one out there that thinks and works this way and that there's nothing wrong with you. You just need to learn how to develop systems, learn what KPIs are and those type of things. And back to your Mm -hmm. original question, where did I begin? I started working for my father In his businesses, he had a custom home construction company uh, building um, homes and cabinetry and those types of things. And then he had a crawfish farm that uh, I worked in from November every year to June of every year. And as you know, when you're farming, that's um, seven days a week and it never stops until the farming is completed. Uh, So I owe my father a lot by developing a work ethic in me that just will not quit. Uh, if I see something that I want to do, I do it. If I if someone gives me an opportunity and I, I see it as not so much a hell yeah, then I say it's a no. <laughs> uh, so I don't have problems saying no. So in eight, 1987, I moved from southern Louisiana. The economy was horrible. And I moved to Houston, Texas. Um, they were in a recession as well. But... I I saw it as a a lot of opportunity a lot of jobs and I worked for two companies from 87 to January of 89 and I came to the realization that I could make more money working for myself uh, just like I did working for my parents Uh, so that's what made me get into the irrigation industry at first I was working for an irrigation company, thought so I could do it myself Uh, my wife and I started our Irrigation company, then migrated into drainage, landscape lighting, other things, landscaping, lawn maintenance. Um,
1: mm. and, and was that 1989?
0: In 19, January of 1989, I was uh, 23 years old. And, right on. Uh, and that's, uh, that's when we started our business. And I've always started new things. Um, I get bored very quickly. So we, we started making concrete catch basins maybe 20 years ago. And awesome. Then those, are all, those, are,
1: products. those are all the curse of the entrepreneur, polarizing you go all in or you don't go in, and you get easily distracted.
0: Easily distracted, shiny object syndrome, you know, you name.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm right in there with you. you. <laughs>
0: so, yes. So uh, over the years of the shiny object syndrome, I've kind of gotten that a little bit in control. I don't want to control it too much, but Doug Winnie with Action Coach has helped me Tremendously over the last 15 years. He's an awesome individual.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. It's actually something that um, I'm working on myself because it can be a curse, but it's better to think of it as a tool. You know, that mindset, you're, you're taking action, you're going all in, the ability to see new opportunities, the shiny objects. Those are all great tools. You just have to know when and how to use them so that you can use them for, for you instead of for distractions.
0: Exactly. And I think a way to hone that in is using something like the 40 principles of TRIZ, T-R-I-Z. This helps you to realize that inventions or new things were, are already created. They're used in different industries while you're driving around looking at light poles and the types of fixtures they put on them, the type of connections, all of these type of things you can incorporate into the invention that you're thinking about or the problem you're trying to solve and he teaches that very well in uh, The Four Principles of TRIZ.
1: Fantastic. I'm going to have to check that out. Yeah. Very good book. Cool. So you got into the irrigation business and then you started getting into other aspects of it. Lighting, you said, drainage, patios, things like that. You know, One of the things that you mentioned to me that, that I'm really excited to talk about is that you sort of specifically pivoted into manufacturing products for the irrigation industry and there's two things that caught my attention about that uh, statement that you mentioned to me number one you made a specific choice to pivot because i think sometimes that can be really important in someone's business to do something like that and number two to manufacture products for this industry because you don't hear that very often (laughs) people don't necessarily choose the landscape or irrigation industry so i think that's fascinating
0: I think it's been successful for me because I know the pain points. I know the problems that they're having out there in the field. And so that's why I chose to uh, to choose products.
1: Right. So can, can you take us back? So you guys had this irrigation contracting business. How did you recognize that you wanted to make products? And can you kind of just take us back what was in your mind and how you made that happen?
0: Sure. With the concrete uh, catch basins, we had concrete Catch basins available to us. They were so heavy. They were deep. They were like you know 20 inches long or 20 inches deep. You had to dig a huge pit for it, and it just was not necessary for residential and light construction, light uh, commercial, and also a large commercial where you're not going to have people driving over it with uh, with vehicles. So we made a shorter basin, made a mold for a shorter basin. So this one is 10 inches. Uh, 10 and a half inches tall, so it comes in at about 55 pounds. We make two of them, one for a four-inch pipe, one for a six-and-eight-inch pipe, so two different types of basins. But both of them are very light, so I wanted to make something that was uh, cost-effective as far as purchasing for the contractor and also uh, labor-effective for the guys installing it so they didn't have to use straps to lower it into a hole because someone might get a hernia so this one you can load in by yourself easily at the price point it comes in It's the same price point as a nds grate and box put together wow
1: what what makes it light that's what we wanted to if you don't mind me interrupting you there what makes it light
0: it's lighter than the ones that were available on the market the ones that were available on the market were 20 inches deep so they were twice as heavy the ours is uh, i think 55 pounds if i remember right for the four inch pipe and the one that we had available to us was right at um, 110, 120.
1: Got it, cool. And was that the first product you manufactured?
0: That was the first product we manufactured, yes. The second one was the uh, concrete donut. <laughs> and that kind of scratched a niche, I guess you can say, as probably 80% of our service calls were due to people driving off of the driveway breaking the sprinkler head or breaking the pipe under the head. And this was prior to funny pipe being used extensively. So the pipe would break under the head. Now that funny pipe is used, the head is usually, uh, might be broken, but it's usually pushed down and spraying straight up in the air. So what happens is that you have car driving over this donut and the sprinkler head is about a quarter inch deeper or lower than the top of the donut. So what happens is that the weight is displaced over this donut and alleviates the, the sprinkler head from being touched.
1: Mm, Brilliant. I guess I have seen them before, but never really stopped to think about how it works and I can completely picture that.
0: Yeah. We installed thousands of them in our contracting business. So the itch that it solved was, that was number one. The second one was upsell opportunities. So, Contractor's uh, technician, the service guy, walks up to the door, says, "Hello, Miss Jones. Uh, I'm here to service your sprinkler. I understand you have some broken heads. Has a sprinkler donut in their hand, puts it towards them. And when you put something towards someone like that, they grab a hold of it, right? right. She grabs a hold of it. She sees how how uh, heavy it is, how sturdy it is. This will stop your sprinkler heads from breaking and." costly service repairs so we had increased our service revenue probably by maybe thirty dollars forty dollars per service call on average
1: right and that is the key is those little it's only 30 bucks but they compound over time that that could be all your profit right there
0: over a year it's a huge amount just like any techni- any contractors that are listening to this podcast if on your work order that you go out to the homeowner with if you put a small snippet at the bottom that has a has check boxes and has descriptions for your technician rain sensor does it have a rain sensor he checks yes or doesn't check it is it insulated he checks it or doesn't check it those types of things right so that whenever it comes back to the office and they're invoicing it we had these color printed kind of brochure looking things that you get in, um, credit card envelopes. Mm -hmm. And one would be with uh, rain sensor. For instance, we put that in the invoice and put uh, a quote, you know, $210 installing rain sensor for you. This is how much you would save over the course of the year. Same thing with the insulated backflow. We wouldn't send it to them right away, but come November we'd say, hey, by the way, when we were there, we noticed your your backflow wasn't insulated. Would you like us to go over and insulate? Now we're in Houston, Texas, so we don't need to drain the systems during the winter.
1: Yeah. Awesome. And those would be, um, you know, I was talking to somebody last fall that was looking at purchasing a business and uh, we had service accounts and, and that would be something if you were looking to buy a business to get an idea on if they're doing that right now, because it's likely that I don't know, maybe you could say 50-50. If half the businesses aren't doing it and you're buying one, that could be a great way to capitalize on your return on investment quicker is by you know, reaching out to customers and looking for just small little things that can compound over time.
0: You're exactly right. And in a lot of companies that purchase businesses look exactly at those things. And if you're not incorporating those things and you purchase a business, you can recoup your investment a lot quicker including you know how your guys are going out your technicians are going out doing estimates or doing uh, repairs a lot of them are hourly and then materials we did that at the beginning also we had four technician crews running and I tested only one one crew for a month to see how this would work and we had a laminated eight and a half by eleven sheet it had a la carte what the problems are broken four inch broken six inch 12 rotor valve on and on right rain sensor and on it it had the price so to replace a rain sensor was 210 a vacuum breaker you know examples and at the end it had a total so we used a uh, wax pencil and we'd write in how many broken sprinkler heads how many broken rotors you know how many valves and a total at the end and all these prices were 25% higher than our average ticket prices to do those items, right? The customers would go for it almost immediately and do the job. So that crew, uh, we experienced a 25% increase in revenue without any increase in anything else. No labor, no parts, uh, no extra parts, no extra labor, nothing. so then we implemented it throughout the company for the service techs. So, you know, if you're averaging 150000 a year for a service tech, you know, that's uh, 600000 for four crews, 25% of that, yeah, that's a good change.
1: Absolutely. That's actually a lot, you know, to, to be able to add 25% yeah. when it's possible you don't even have 25% profit margin net at the end of the year to be able to add 25%. You didn't do anything extra,
0: nothing extra, same amount of work. You're taking more money home and a lot of contractors unfortunately don't know the difference in between uh, net profit and gross profit. Yeah. So, you know, th- it makes a huge, huge difference. And you know, if your listeners would like a, a copy of that laminated sheet, I can send it to you in a PDF. Keep in mind and it's a, an example and the prices are based on 15 years ago and for our market, our region, okay? So I know some places up north, they may charge more, just adjust it for yourself. But if you're interested in it, I can send it to
1: you. Yeah, cool, we'll have to, uh, we'll sync up after and figure out if that's something I can put in the show notes or how we wanna do that. And I think that's a great idea. And if the listeners can just think of that as a template, but not something that's an exact pricing matrix, but just to, to get an idea, create something similar of their own.
0: Sure. Well, they can reach out to me on LinkedIn, and I'll send it to them in a PDF. Okay, for way you would like.
1: Perfect. Yeah. All right, guys, reach out to Chad on LinkedIn if you're if you're listening. You want to get a copy of that template. Appreciate you offering that. Of course. So, can you? Um, I just I still want to step back one one more time. You've got this contracting business, and you pivoted into manufacturing productcrete basin did you feel like it was going to be successful or did you what were you what was going on in your mind did you have fears did you have opportunity what were you thinking at that time
0: it's not often i have fears about business that's not what keeps me up at night not at all what i was doing was solving a problem that we were having at first once i could satisfy by producing enough basins for our company then we had x ex- access or excess then then I would sell to contractors and the parts houses were reluctant in regards to purchasing it from us and I didn't understand why completely I didn't understand the distribution completely so I got with a a good friend that that was in one of the parts houses and he told me Chad as long as you're selling to contractors we're not going to buy from you it's like you're selling to our customers Why would we buy from you to sell to the same customers? So that day was the last day that I sold directly to contractors. And that was Mm -hmm. 15, 18 years ago, something like that. I I had been doing basins maybe for two years when this guy (laughs) gave me this awesome gift of knowledge. And, and I said, you know what? Yesterday was the last day I sold to a contractor and probably within six months, I picked up all the parts houses in the city of Houston. Fantastic. Uh, And
1: and you can't fault yourself because really when you have a product, you want to sell it. So if there's someone that wants to buy it and you don't have any distribution or anything else set up, if somebody wants to buy it and you can sell it to them, great way to get moving, testers. And then this other door opened and the other door that opened sounds like was bigger than the door you currently had open. So you close one door and open the other.
0: Yes. And I didn't have to sell five at a time. I can sell them by the pallet. Which was uh, very interesting or very nice for me. And that, you know, regarding the, the parts houses, I like to tell my kids, you don't know what you don't know until you get into it and you start integrating. Then you become knowledgeable and you see the problems that uh, or the th- the things that you didn't know.
1: Yep, yep, and and I think everything is. Um Cyclical is the word, and I don't know this to be true, and it's not true. I'm just sort of uh, tossing this out there. Let's say at some point in the future, the supply houses become your bottleneck. In other words, your current sales are X, and you want to go X times three, and you can't get the distributors to buy X times three. Then you may have to take the business back at some point into your own hands and figure out what are the sales channels. If the if current sales models aren't growing, maybe. There's another way to do it that's in combination. So I think that there's there's no right or wrong way. There's only the way that works well for you and your business at any given time.
0: You're right. And uh, looking at that as far as going nationally with certain items, you shouldn't restrict yourself from thinking one-sided as far as just producing it from X city and distributing it everywhere. It may be more cost-effective to set up satellite distribution or satellite um, areas to ship it to or satellite areas to manufacture it in. Who knows? So I'm open to all those things for any of our products.
1: So this was the, uh, the catch basins. What, and then we, and then we did talk briefly about the the donuts. What product came next?
0: After the donuts, the uh, backflow cages came in next. And with the backflow cages, I had technicians out replacing installing backflow cages because uh, backflows were being stolen. And one of the technicians calls me and says, uh, and this was for a water burger in in the medical center, and they need this water back on like real quick. And if we turn it on, put on a backflow device without a cage, it's getting stolen again tonight.
1: I can't believe that. that People are literally stealing backflows and maybe this happens all the time and, and I'm just totally naive about this, but I gotta tell you, it's the first time I've heard this.
0: <laughs> All day and every day. It's drug money, unfortunately, you know, for for people. So uh one inch P V B they may get maybe ten dollars for it.
1: Just the weight uh, of the metal so, being recycled, is that what you sure
0: okay. the brass. Yeah. So that's why it's stolen and and used in, in that farm. But this technician calls me and he says I'm at the Whataburger and I called the parts house. They don't have the correct size. And I said, what do you mean they don't have the correct size? Don't they have an adjustable? He says, no, man, there's no such thing as adjustable. So I started researching it and no, I couldn't find any adjustable backflow cage. So we, we uh, developed one, designed one, manufactured it, and it did very well. We sold maybe 600 units a year. But that wasn't enough for me. Just like going back to what you were saying before, you need a pivot sometimes, right? Because things aren't working exactly the way you you would like it to work. The adjustable backflow cage was solving a problem, but it wasn't um, it wasn't getting the exposure that I wanted. So we developed a cage called the budget cage. So and cages in this form is spelled with a K K A G E budget cage. Okay. And this cage includes. The locks, the farms, the stakes for the farms, the cage. So, the only thing the contractor needs to get is the concrete. So, this was another problem that we were finding. Whenever you bought a cage, you had to go to Lowe's or Home Depot, some part, some hardware store with the cage in the store to be able to find a lock that would fit the lock box and the mechanism that it went on, right? so we solved that by just including a lock that fit
1: wow yeah and it makes you think uh, this is probably not the case but sometimes it's in a manufacturer's well in their selfish best interest to have lots of sizes and lots of SKUs because then there's more items to you know the distributor or supplier has to stock which again is in the interest of the manufacturer because the supplier wants to stock less you know no that that's the reason they didn't have an adjustable cage but You're you right. certainly solved that problem for the contractor and the supplier
0: yes and the budget cage we migrate migrated to it because uh the adjustable cage just wasn't selling as many units as we would have liked so the budget cage we sell nationally
1: mm, cool and then uh at some point you got into doing these large pavers
0: yes yeah, so the large page first started in october of last year of 2020 again that was a a pain point that we had when we were doing landscaping, the pavers that we would purchase, uh, let's say we were purchasing a 36 by 48, 36 by 36, 24 by 24, one of those sizes. They had so many holes over the top of it that it was just aesthetically, it was horrible. Uh, They didn't have any steel.
1: And when you say holes, hold on a second. What does that mean? Exactly.
0: Little divots. And, and, you know, it wasn't, it didn't look, it wasn't slick and smooth okay it was rough it had holes in it like from air bubbles hmm. those type of things whenever you're installing a landscape that's 50,000 150,000 $200,000 as a contractor when the homeowners walking around and sees these large pavers and they don't look outstanding they see dirt in the little holes and cracks yeah that holds your last check right, right? That contractor needs that last check to pay his parts and everything else, keep his business running. That's the last thing he wants to hear is that he's not getting paid because 15 or 30 of these pavers aren't pristine. Right. So we solved that problem by creating a paver that looks like uh, granite. It's unbelievable how beautiful these pavers look. They're very smooth. They're gorgeous. Hmm. Whenever we went to show them to the parts houses that – Currently sell pavers. It didn't take five minutes. Whenever they sh- we showed them the samples, they said, I have one question. Whenever you deliver pallets, will the pallets look like the samples? I said exactly like the samples. We do QC right on site. If they have a hairline crack, if they have a chip, if they have a little hole, it gets destroyed. I went through 200 units of these pavers these 36 by 36 destroyed every one of them until we got the recipe right and the technique right
1: love it <laughs> that's awesome that's that is the great way to do it let's see speaking to the the large pavers did was it did it require a lot of capital to start you know manufacturing a product like that
0: well yes yeah, so you have to buy all the molds and whenever you're starting something that you're not sure what sizes are going to be most prevalent you have to you have to take risk you have to buy the molds and then once we get a one quarter under our arms of sales then we realize that uh you know we need a little bit more of these and we don't need so many of the ones that we have Hmm. so then you start making adjustments so yes it it uh it can cost a lot of money to do something like that but you can start off a lot smaller as well Mm -hmm. destroying 200 units because it it just doesn't look aesthetically pleasing is is very costly as well. But that's fine. I know what my end product needs to be and I'm not letting out anything less. My son and I do this QC together so that we have a product going out that we can be proud of.
1: That's fantastic and it's probably because it will bite you at some point if You don't make it quality at the beginning. It'll come back to bite you in one year, five years, 10 years, 20 years. Somebody somewhere will be unhappy. And so you might as well invest in the on the side and get it right.
0: I'm in complete agreement. And we have that discussion throughout the company. Whenever we're doing QC, we look at something, we see something. We tell the the employees, this right here will cost you your job. Do it for yourself. Do the QC right here so that when we come and look at it. We're not picking out as many things uh, because you've already done done the hard work. But know that if the contractor calls and says that there's a problem with something, we're gonna address it because we're not losing a customer over something that we've done.
1: Yeah, well, now you've got me excited. I need to go check out these pavers. I'm, I'm really curious yeah. now. <laughs> Might have to order some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Well, one of the things you had mentioned to me was about a time when, uh, or or a period of time, I don't know, you'll you'll share with us when you were either hard-hearted or hard-headed, and you lost upwards of seven hundred thousand dollars. And I'd love for you to share that story with us.
0: Of course, I'd, I'd be happy to. With the seven hundred thousand dollars accumulated over a few years, right? If you have KPIs that you follow, key performance indicators that will help you a ton in your business also having systems implemented will help you and all these things occurred because I did not either have KPIs or did not have systems developed and again Doug Winnie with Action Coach is the one who helped me through all these things right Uh, one was embezzlement slash not embezzlement what do you call something when you have an employee doing invoicing for you And that employee is at the height of laziness because they're given, let's say, 150, 180 invoices a week. And they take maybe 40 or 30 of those invoices and stick them at the bottom of filing cabinet because Mm. they don't want to do it. They don't want to do the work, all the typing. Right. It came out to be about $60,000 when I finally caught it.
1: Of of work that was not being billed.
0: Not being billed and the ones that were done maybe 60 days ago i I could invoice those and maybe get paid on the ones that are 30 to 60. definitely get paid on the ones that are one to 30 days right but the ones that were further out no way Hmm. so we lost about sixty thousand dollars on that deal right there and that was just laziness and so what that caused me to do is develop a system for that right whenever the person uh receiving the invoices or the work orders in the morning uh would get them they would count them if they had 40 invoices or 30 40 uh work orders or 30 work orders he would type that out and send it to me so i knew so when the person doing the invoicing completed invoicing i could log on to quickbooks and see how many Invoices were done that day, mm-hmm. and if there was twenty invoices done that day, we had a discussion: what the hell happened with the others? Right.
1: kind of just a good checks and balance.
0: It's a good checks and balance. It's a good system to have because uh, you don't know how much money is really going out the door just because somebody doesn't feel like doing the work.
1: Right, and d- and does that mean so? Let's say a work order came in. That they weren't getting into QuickBooks and that's how they were being basically, um, they were invisible to you because if they weren't being entered into QuickBooks, you had no idea that there was an invoice here that what you weren't collecting on because it just wasn't getting in.
0: Exactly. And I had, re- I should have caught the red flags. I had gotten a call from a customer and said, Chad, I haven't received the last two invoices from you. And I was like, are you kidding? No, I'm not. So I get with the person doing the invoicing saying, well, I did them. Let me just uh, check. I'll check through it. And look, I didn't look on QuickBooks myself. I was given that responsibility to someone else to do, right? But I didn't have checks and balances and systems to follow so that we wouldn't have this issue happening. But uh, that caused us to... implement systems i love it i
1: love it yeah and the system isn't there to be a dictator or to crack the whip it's there so that the business runs well
0: you know whenever we were farming crawfish my father had this thing that he said to me only one time he told me and i remember it to this day like he and i are standing together outside we finished fa- harvesting our crawfish we we're about to go sell them wholesale And we have what we call a pump house. I don't know what they call it in other places, but it's basically a shed where our water well is and we have freezers in there and things for the crawfish. And I said, uh, I said, daddy, uh, we need to lock the pump house before, before we leave. He says, not a big deal. He said, locks keep honest, men honest. And that's it. He said, a thief is going to be a thief. Right. So, you know, if we have systems in, in place that makes a thief go on to other, other companies or other, other uh, opportunities that are easier.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I love how That's you described that that staff member, that employee, as just being lazy because they may not have actually been trying to steal from you. It wasn't like that money was ending up in their pocket. They just didn't wanna do the work, which was then costing you money.
0: It was laziness, pure laziness. That's all it could be. What else could it be? That person's pockets weren't being lined right. with cash. Right. So in the other in another instance where we lost a lot of money was uh, $35,000 in one quarter and and there I had KPIs involved, but I wasn't doing them often and often enough I was doing them maybe every six months I was checking my KPIs. You need to be doing this at least every month, maybe every week or every two weeks. But if you have, let's say a total revenue of $100 for three quarters. Or for a, a quarter, three months, a total of a hundred dollars, and a third of that is your material. A third of that is your parts, and a third is your profit. That's a KPI that's telling you that those are working out. If that's truly what what your uh, expenses are and your profit and your labor, then that should carry on every month. But when someone is stealing materials, From your trucks or from the job site and taking them home and doing jobs on the side. How do you find that out? Well, you measure your KPIs so no longer are your parts house 30% now it's 60% and your your labor is 20%, 20%, and then your your pro, or your profits maybe 10%, and then your labor is the rest, right? So that tells you right there something's going on. And that was a case we had lost $35,000 in a quarter or four months, something like that. We we guesstimate. And uh, what it was was a, a contractor on the side. Our employee was a contractor on the side, um, using our material to do his installations and his repairs. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. When it happens very slowly over time, Mm -hmm. you know, you don't necessarily notice that case of rotors or those four valves or those 10 sticks of pipe when it's just very slow over time.
0: It adds up very, very quickly Yeah, and it's already tough being in business. You know, 95% of the businesses go out in the first five years, whatever that uh, ratio is. It's huge. And in this case, we, we developed uh, additional systems to watch our KPIs closer. But what we did is every Monday we would, uh, I'm sorry, every day the guys did a, um, an inventory of what they used. So they would take their work orders and I'm not, I wasn't interested in how many fittings they used. I was interested in how many slip fixes they used, uh, sprinkler heads, rotors, valves, controllers that all came off their truck they were allotted let's say 34 inch spray heads 30 rotors and four or five six valves whatever it was so they would write down those big components put it on the clipboard along with their work orders so the next morning when uh, our lead guy would come in he would see that he would take those materials replenish them in a blue bucket And we had squares drawn on the cement floor with a number for the number of the truck. We would put that blue bucket uh, right there. He would come in in the morning or she would come in in the morning, they would grab their bucket and fulfill their truck. So every day it was replenished. And once a month, I would check the inventory on their truck. Hmm. If it didn't mesh, they paid for it. Yeah,
1: that's great. I don't think a lot of guys, bigger companies keep inventory but it's something that everyone can improve on, especially if they wanna catch those those holes, if you will, plug those holes. Uh, would you mind if I asked you if there's any KPIs you look at at your business right now, either on daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly?
0: Yes, we, we look at the uh, KPIs. For instance, this concrete pad. How many pads do we produce a day? Does that ratio change? You know, We have a log of how many are coming in every day. And uh, they work in the same amount of hours every day. We work from 6:30 to 6:30 uh, in the morning till 6 in the evening is when our crews work in the warehouse. Is the cement changing? Is the Portland changing? Is everything being ordered at the same time? So you know, on a course of a week, we're using x amount of Portland, x amount of sand, x amount of gravel, and other uh, admixtures that we use with the concrete because we bring our concrete. We advertise that we bring it to 6,800 PSI, but it's actually test out at 7,200 PSI. To do that, we have to use different things that are proprietary the way we use them, but uh, we use KPIs with that because that stuff is very hmm. expensive.
1: Yeah, have you noticed so, um, yeah. some days you can make more pavers than another day?
0: Depending on the, uh, the temperature, the amount of humidity, those type of things will affect how often you can pull the product Hmm. from the molds. So in that case, we're still making the same amount of items, but we're using more molds.
1: Okay. Interesting. Great. Well, you know, we've, we've talked about a lot lot of things here and I appreciate you sharing, you know, kind of transparently uh, with us from the owner's perspective on entrepreneur's perspective. And uh, guys, if you're listening, you can link up with Chad on LinkedIn. And uh, he'd be more than happy to share that, that quick field sheet with you. And, Chad, before we wrap up, is there anything else that you feel would be important to share with, with our listeners?
0: I think uh, self-education, reading as much as humanly possible regarding business. You know, The E-Myth is a, is a great book to start with. Four Disciplines of Execution by uh, Sean Covey. That is a great book to start with as well. But educate yourself. If you want to get into uh, lighting and you're not doing lighting, it's a lot easier today to get into lighting than it was 15 years ago. You don't have very many calculations you have to do anymore. So just get into it and educate yourself and get started. Don't uh, procrastinate on it. Just get in there and get it done. And if you want to reach out to me on LinkedIn, please do. It's Chad Touche t as in tom o u c h e t be very pleased to talk with you or send you the uh, pdf attachment
1: yeah i love that always be learning love it cannot learn enough always it's great advice no awesome well thank you for your time today chad really appreciate everything that you've shared and look forward to keeping in touch
0: well thank you for the invitation Andy. you've been great thank you so much
1: my pleasure cheers
0: cheers